Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come this morning recognizing that what we are about to look at is your word. It is a lamp to our feet and it is a light unto our way. In it you disclose who you are, your character. You set forth our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You show us our salvation in and through him only. But you also show us this morning, Lord, how to live. And grant, O God, that as we study your word today, that by your spirit, we would not only understand more about who you are and about the body of Christ, but that we would live out more and more, better so, more so, the reality of who we are in the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask this in his name and for his glory. Amen. A prominent Bible teaching church once advertised on its sign out front this statement. Jesus didn't like the church either. Now, as if to say that uh, Jesus didn't care for organized religion either. And therefore, to, to help people to see that they're not alone when they dislike or maybe even distrust the church but brothers and sisters, I hope and it's my prayer that as we have been going through this book of Ephesians, that it has become evident to you that Jesus not only likes the church, Jesus loves the church. That Jesus gave himself to establish the church, that it was God's plan in eternity past, even before creation, to send Jesus to redeem the church for himself, And that Jesus wanted to come. He wanted to do the will of the Father. He wanted to purchase a people for himself. And so God reveals to us in the Bible that the reason for this is, is that the church is Jesus' bride. He loves his bride. And not only that, as we see in Ephesians 5, but also in 1 Corinthians 12, we see that the church is Jesus' body. And so Jesus loves the church and he cherishes her so much that when he died... And he rose again from the dead and he ascended into heaven to rule over all things, it says in Ephesians 1, for the sake of the church, that Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to live within his people and to give each Christian, amongst other things, spiritual gifts that they are to use for the gathering and the perfecting of the saints. That is for, uh, not that those that are holier than thou, but those who are, who are followers, those who are, are disciples of Jesus Christ, namely his church. And so Jesus is the giver of gifts to his people, as we saw last week. But this week, we want to sort of uh, answer the question, why exactly did Jesus give gifts to the church? Okay, we have the giver of the church, and this week we're going to look at the gifts of the church. Next week we're going to look at the goal of why he gave those gifts to the church. But what ought the ministry of the church look like? And so that's what Paul looks at this day, which is important for us to ask as we think of our ministry in Andover and the surrounding areas. And so the first thing I want us to look at today is the gifts that, that Jesus gives to the church. So last week we saw that there were different lists of gifts in the Bible. You look at the book of Romans, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Peter chapter 4, and in other places you see that there are gifts that are given to the church. But it's interesting to see the gifts that 
that Paul chooses under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to highlight here in verse 11 this morning. It says, and he gave the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. Now, notice Paul's emphasis here today. He's not emphasizing specific qualities or abilities that people have like he did in Romans or in 1 Corinthians. But his emphasis here is on offices given to the church, namely the office of apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherds, and teachers. And in addition to the Holy Spirit giving every Christian a spiritual gift that they are to use, God has also given certain godly gifted men who are devoted to the well-being of the church to serve in certain capacities to help strengthen the church. And the one gift that all of these positions that he's mentioned, all these offices that he's talking about this morning have in common is the gift of teaching. Paul highlights these teaching offices not because teaching is the only gift that matters, but because that there is a priority given to it and for the building up of the church. It is the ministry of the Word of God that empowers and energizes the people of God with their various gifts, which they use for service as biblically guided. But with the gifts that God gives to the church, some are only needed for a period of time. For example, look at the first two that he talks about here, that of apostle and prophets. Uh, let me first of all talk about apostles. Paul mentions the apostles. These were a select group of men who were called personally by Jesus himself, who were eyewitnesses of the resurrected Christ. And uh, back in Acts chapter 1, verses 21 and 22, uh, the apostles are gathered with some of the other disciples in the upper room. There's about 120 of them. And uh, the, the context is, is that Judas, one of the apostles, has, after he uh, betrayed Christ, he committed suicide. He hung himself. And so, uh, according to the scriptures, it was necessary for these apostles to replace him. And so they were talking about the qualifications of, you know, what kind of man is it that we're looking for? And in Acts chapter 1, verse 21, Peter says, And so one, so one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become with us witnesses to his resurrection. And so the apostles were those who had witnessed the resurrection, who had seen Jesus, who, who knew Jesus, that Jesus had revealed himself to. And of course, uh, uh, um, we see here that, that these were men who received and declared revelation from God. It was a very special office. In Acts chapter 2, we see that, that uh, God is revealing to the apostles the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, it talks about the Messiah who would come. Um, but the apostles receive revelation from God showing that Jesus is that Messiah, that he is the Christ, and what that means for us. And so uh, these apostles receive that revelation, and they first of all preach that to the, Gentile, or to the Jews in Acts chapter 2. But we see as you go on in the book of Acts, in Acts 10 and following, that also that message was proclaimed to the Gentiles as well. And, of course, uh, as they preached the gospel, their, their message had to be authenticated. Because if someone just shows up on the street corner and says, I have a word from the Lord. 
Well, how do you know that this message is truly from God? Well, Peter talks about that in Acts chapter 2, verse 22, of Jesus himself even. It says that Jesus was attested or authenticated to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him. And so God not only gave revelation to these apostles to proclaim to the lost and to the church, but also he equipped them with miraculous powers. And we see that throughout the book of Acts. As you know, Peter would even, uh, if he would even touch a handkerchief and someone would touch it, they would become healed. And to show the mighty power of God that was at work with these men. You also see that in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. It talks specifically about how the apostles have been given those miraculous gifts. Well, the purpose of the apostles and also the prophets, which we'll talk about in just a minute, was, as we saw in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, was to lay a foundation on which the church would be built throughout history, uh, both by bringing the first churches into existence, but also by providing a written record of the gospel in the New Testament. And so, uh, as you look at this, the apostles were very necessary in the early part of the church. But by definition, there were no successors to the apostle or to their office as the function was a one-for-all founding the Christian church. They, they had, they had uh, accomplished that, that purpose. Also with them, we see the prophets. They were also appointed by God as special gifted men. It seems that the, the office of the prophet might have been uh, exclusively for work within a local congregation or a, a particular area, whereas that of the apostles, it seemed to be much more widespread that they didn't minister just within one churches or one church. Prophets also spoke the word of the Lord. We see this, for example, in Acts chapter 11, verses 21 through 28. But, but they didn't always give newly revealed revelation. Sometimes they would expound or, or, or uh, teach that word that God had already revealed. But the apostolic message was more general and more doctrinal, whereas that of the prophet was more personal and practical. For example, the prophet might... Uh, might foretell uh, a famine that was going to happen or or prophets that would come to Paul and say and he would take his belt and bind Paul's hands and he would say in the same way you're going to be pound and you're going to stand before the leaders. It was very specific to that situation but the, the teaching of the apostles was much more uh, general and much more uh, doctrinal. And as I said Earlier, the church was built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So, so once that foundation was laid, the work of the apostles and the prophets was finished. So uh, some may argue that actually there's really no uh, mention of the office of apostle and prophet being replaced by the evangelists and shepherd teachers. And, and I would say, well, part of that is, is because all of those offices were in effect in the New Testament. But the fact is, is that as they continued to serve in the church, the offices of evangelists and pastor teachers or shepherd teachers is what we see uh, operating in, in the latter parts of the New Testament. You know, it's noteworthy to see that as Paul is writing his pastoral letters, those are the letters he wrote towards the end of the, his ministry, uh, that 
and he provides for the church instruction on, on what the church ought to look like, then he makes no mention of the prophetic office, which it seems to have already passed away by that time. So we see that the prophets and the apostles were a provisional office in the early church for the period before the New Testament was written and collected, because once the New Testament was written, there was no longer a need nor a place for them in the church as God had revealed to his church all that was necessary for life and godliness. There was no need of any new revelation. Now, does that mean that the Lord has made no ongoing provision for the ministry of the word? Well, of course not. You know, there, there are two permanent offices that Christ gave, namely that of the evangelists and the shepherd teachers. And I, I want to look at those just a moment today because those have a great bearing on, on our ministry as a, as a church. Evangelists are men who proclaim good news. And the work of an evangelist is to preach and to explain the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ to those who have not yet heard his name. And we see that in the life of Philip. Uh, if you remember, Philip was also a deacon, as outlined in Acts chapter 6, but he also uh, was an evangelist. If you look at Acts chapter 8, verses 4 through 40, that'd be some good reading this afternoon, to go back through and just be refreshed and reminded of what his ministry looks like. Uh, you'll, you'll see that, that Philip doesn't fit the bill of what we think of as an evangelist. For us, we might think of an evangel of evangelistic meetings as maybe a, a preacher that comes in a suit, maybe even has tent revivals or, or comes to a church and they said, we're going to have revival from, you know, March uh, 17th through, you know, March uh, 24th. And, uh, you know, that's what we think of when we think of an evangelist. But that's not, that's not the case in the New Testament. New Testament evangelists were, were more like missionaries or church planters, much like the apostle, but without the title and without doing the miraculous gifts. But they would go wherever Christ's name had not been proclaimed that they, people might hear of our Lord and Savior. And then once people came to faith in Christ, these evangelists would take those new believers and they would teach them the word and they would preach the word and help build them up before moving on. Typically they would move on, not always. We see even examples in the Bible of those who were pastors of churches that were called to be evangelists. For example, Timothy a young pastor of a congregation was told to do the work of, of, of an evangelist in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5. And so these gifted men are uniquely designed and given to the church to reach the lost with the saving gospel. And that ought to be our priority as a church, uh, that uh, we would pray that the Lord would raise up evangelists in our midst. That there would be those that we would send to the mission field to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. That those that don't know Christ would come to faith in him, but also that the Lord would raise up evangelists in our own midst, here in our own communities that would go and preach Jesus Christ. Now, that doesn't mean that it's only evangelists that share the gospel. Uh, we know that uh, we are all as Christians called to do that. But brothers and sisters, if our pastors, if our leaders are not sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, I can guarantee you that people will not be sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's important for the congregation to, to see uh, that example of, of that gospel witness as well. And so you, you see that office of evangelist that's been given to the church, but also the, uh, the office of shepherd teachers. 
Now, these two functions, you probably notice I, I say shepherd teachers or shepherd and teachers, but these two functions of a shepherd and a teacher are really included in one office uh, here. And, and this is made very clear uh, by Paul's use of the definite article. If you look at verse 11, it says that he speaks of the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and then he says the shepherds and teachers. He doesn't say the shepherds and the teachers. He says the shepherd teachers. And so he's referring to that as, as one function, as one office. And uh, some of your translations may say pastor teachers. As a matter of fact, that's what I grew up reading in my Bible. So you'll probably hear me slip up from time to time say pastor teachers because that's what I'm, I'm used to, to saying. But that's, pastor teachers is not a bad translation because the word for pastor means a shepherd. It means a shepherd. And so uh, it emphasizes uh, the care and the protection and the leadership of a man of God for the church. Now, think about a shepherd and his sheep. That's what he does, does he not? A shepherd cares for his sheep. He protects them. He guides them. He leads them. And that's what... Uh, these uh, shepherd teachers are to do. And, and I know that in our church language today, we sort of have deviated from the use of the term uh, shepherd or pastor in the way that the Bible uses it. Uh, actually, what they're referring here to are those who are elders in the church. Okay, so, and when you think of pastor, you think of me. I'm the guy that stands behind the pulpit. You know, I'm the guy that gets paid, so I'm the pastor, right? Well, that's not the, quite the biblical understanding. Yes, I am a pastor, but I'm not the only pastor. You know, the, the, both myself, who's a teaching elder, that my primary responsibility is to teach, that there also are ruling elders that care for this church, and they are shepherds as well to rule over and to care for your souls as well. Peter talks about this in 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter 5, verse 2 and 3. Peter is talking to these leaders, and this is what he said. He said, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, but not under compulsion, but willingly. In other words, don't feel like you have to do it. Oversee and care for this block because you want to do it. And then he says, as God would have you, not for shameful gain. In other words, you don't do it to benefit yourself. You don't do it because somehow you're going to get something out. It's going to stroke your pride. You're going to, it's going to build up your reputation. It's going to look better on your resume, whatever. It's not for those kind of things. But he said, but eagerly and not domineering over those in charge. In other words, you are to oversee the church not like using your power like, you better listen to me. I am your leader and you better do this. But we know from Mark chapter 10 that leadership actually is to be a servant leader. Uh, a leader is to use his authority and his power to serve those that he is responsible for and to care for them and to encourage them and to nurture them. That's the posture of a leader. So, he is not to do it domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Uh, that those that are in leadership, those elders, those shepherds, are to actually be uh, men who are seeking to be godly themselves. Uh, not perfect, not perfect, 
but nonetheless to grow in godliness uh, as the Spirit of God works in their hearts that they might be examples to the flock of God. And it is these same shepherds that are called to be teachers of the Word of God. And so these shepherds not only care and protect and lead the church, but they also feed the, the souls of their people spiritually as well with the Word of God. And so Paul emphasizes that, that these men are a blessing to the church. And that's so important for us to remember. Because often we think that if the church is going to have any great impact in our culture, if the church is going to see a new season of effectiveness engaging the culture, if we are going to evangelize and we're going to see people to come, come in faith in Christ, then we really oftentimes think that we need new strategies and new techniques and new methods. I mean, that's what you hear. I mean, I can show you the pastoral magazines I get, and they're talking about how you got to do, you got to have your worship a certain way, or you got to do this if you're going to reach a loss. That our culture is so different that you just got to act differently and engage people differently. And if you do that, then you're going to see people to come faith in Jesus Christ. But it's so interesting that that's not where Paul goes. That's not what he said. He draws us our attention here not to new strategies and new methods, but to people, to, to men, to offices that Christ has given to the church. Now, Ian e. Bounds, and many of you have probably read a lot of his works on prayer. He said, the church is looking for better methods, but God is looking for better men. That the church is looking for better methods, but God is looking for better men. And I would say that's a good statement, but it's not quite what Paul is saying here. You know, as, as good as that may sound, really what Christ wants us to hear is that the church may be looking for different methods and strategies and approaches, but Christ is not looking for better men, but he has given better men to the church. He has given godly, gifted men to the church to equip the church for the work of ministry. And, and I want you to know that this kind of temptation is so prevalent, okay, even in reform circles. You know, we, we sort of pride ourselves for oftentimes for not giving into this. And even as pastors, we oftentimes think that as well. But I think of a story that Ligon Duncan tells of how he went to a seminar on evangelism by Randy Pope. Randy Pope is a PCA pastor in Atlanta, Georgia. And, uh, and Randy was given a seminar talking about people... Uh, that he was trying to share the gospel with that were very resistant to the gospel. And he told about sharing the gospel one day over lunch with a particular man. And he had outlined the gospel presentation on a paper napkin over lunch. And that man came to faith in Jesus Christ. Well, after the class, Ligon tells about how all these ministers came forward and said to Randy, What did you write on the napkin? What did you write on the napkin? What, what did your diagram look like? Or what did your outline look like? And Randy looked at these ministers and he said, Look, it wasn't the outline that I shared that brought that man to Christ. It wasn't the technique that I used that brought that man to Christ. It was the gospel. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. I just had the privilege of being the instrument that God used to lead that man to faith in Jesus Christ. He said, I just want you to be creative in how you share the gospel. It's not the outline that did it. It is God that did it through his people. And, and the fact of the matter is, and Ligon said this, he goes, the key 
was a godly consecrated man who loved the Lord Jesus Christ, who loved the gospel and told this man about it. Brothers and sisters, there are no magic bullets. Okay, there's, there's no secret methodology that's going to cause us to grow as a church. You know, Paul says here, when God is preparing to bless the church, he gives the church godly, gifted, consecrated shepherd teachers that then pour themselves into the life of the congregation to feed and care for that flock or for that church. That's the silver bullet. That's the great blessing. And Paul is reminding us of that here. Now that means that those who are called to serve as pastors or uh, must devote themselves first and foremost to the teaching of God's word, which also means devoting themselves to prayer and to study. Now, the best way for the church to influence society is for, for me as, a, as an elder, for the other elders in our church that, that, that teach, is to, is to preach the whole counsel of God and for, the, for God's people to listen to that word and take it to heart and to grow in, in holiness as the Spirit of God works in their hearts. And it is the light of the gospel shining through the godly lives that will bring true transformation to society one convert at a time. Then these new Christians speak out and share according to the truths of the Bible, which they know because they've been in church and they've heard the word of God preached. Now that doesn't mean that as God's people, the only place you hear the word of God is when you come on Sunday morning or you come on Wednesday night or whatever and you hear the word of God expounded. That is important, as you can see here in this text. Uh, but there are other opportunities that you have in personal worship and family worship and listening to preachers on the Internet and, and things like that to hear the, the, the word of God preached. But the one thing the church needs most is the word of God. And without the word of God, there will be no converts. I mean, what did Peter say in 1 Peter 1.23? Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. You know, Paul says in Romans 10 that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. There will be no uh, sanctification without the word of God. Jesus prayed to the Father in John 17, 17, sanctify them, cause them to grow, cause them to be like Jesus. But he said, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So the Bible calls for shepherds to be teachers and also for teachers to be shepherds. And that's why he puts these two ideas together. So teach, teaching ought not to be done by some estranged academic you know, some pastor that locks himself in his study and he all, spends all week with his books. But by shepherds who walk, who work among the people of God, the Bible is best understood and taught within the context of a pastoral ministry. And so with uh, the combination of pastoral care and faithful Bible teaching, the church is well led and well fed. Now, as a pastor, I will stand here before you this morning to tell you that is hard. Because for, for me to spend the time that I need to study, I need to spend hours, blocks of time to do that. But also, as you can see, as, as a shepherd, I need to spend time with you as God's people. So those two callings on the life of a pastor oftentimes are attention. 
But that's a good tension, you know. But I ask you, if you would, to pray for me, to pray for our other elders as well, that we can walk that tension well, that there can be a sense of not neglecting one or the other. And I know for myself and for other pastors, the temptation can spend more time in shepherding or more time in teaching, you know. But we just pray that the Lord might help us to live in that tension. So the second thing is, is not only to see the gifts, but why it is that God has given the, these gifts to the church. Look at verse 11 again. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. Why? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. Or that word could be translated service. It might be service in some of your, your Bibles. For the building up of the body of Christ. Now, notice that the shepherd teachers are given to the church not so that they will do all the the ministry of the church, but so that you, the rest of God's people as the body of Christ, can be equipped to do the ministry as God intends because of the gifts that he has given to you by his Holy Spirit. And I know that the temptation can be, in one sense, to think, well, this is the guy that gets paid for this, so this is the guy that needs to do the work. But that, that's not God's plan. That's not God's design. I know one of the things that, that I've been blessed to see is when we first started Kirk of the Plains, it, you know, we started with no one in one sense. We just had a Bible study and it's like, let's going to see who's going to show up. So uh, myself and, and my family probably did all the work. And we did it okay. And even as the church, you know, as that Bible study grew and it become became uh, 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 um, a missions church, we probably still did most of a lot of things. But, you know, I will tell you this, our health, our, our, the health of our church is much better today because we are not doing all those things. Many of you have said, let me use my gifts in this way. Let me use my gifts in that way. And so while we did have Sunday school, we have a better Sunday school today because we have people who are gifted in doing that and that, that are using their gifts and it's been great to, to see that. And I pray that we might continue in that to continue to use the gifts that the Lord has given to us. And if you're here today and you're not using your gifts, it may be that you feel like you don't have the time to do that. Maybe you don't know what your gifts are. Uh, let me encourage you. I'd love to talk with you. And it's not just that I want to, to get you to, to work in the church. I, I, I saw an article this week of uh, a man who wrote, and he said, you know, today I wonder if sometimes if there's not evangelical pharaohs in the church today, that some pastors are seeking to stroke their ego and their pride and they're just trying to get the people to do their work. And so they're trying to get them to build bricks like Pharaoh got the people to do. Or maybe if it's not particular men, maybe it's systems within a church that are seeking to do that. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about trying to get you to do the work of the things that I want to see happen, but it is a sense of us using the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given us that we would love to do within the church because of what Christ has done. Now, there is something that I, I do want to mention because it is a controversy sometimes you, you hear about, and I just want you to be knowledgeable about this. But there is a controversy in the interpretation of this verse, and it, it stems from a, a, a little comma that's placed in the King James translation. Now, I know a lot of people don't use the King James translation today, but, uh, but still, I think it's worth mentioning that the King James, between the phrase, equip the saints and the work of ministry, put a little comma. 
Now, this is the issue that that creates. You know, it's asking, is Paul teaching that the shepherd teacher has three callings? He's to equip the saints, he's to do the ministry, and he's to build the church. Or do the shepherd teachers equip the saints so that they will do the ministry and thus build up the church? Well, according to the first view, the the idea that the shepherds and teachers do everything, uh, the only person that really matters in one sense is the shepherd teacher. He's the important guy. You know, you're just supposed to sit in the pew, maybe and write a check or something, you know, but you just you're not supposed to do anything. But the problem with that view is uh, twofold, at least. The, the one is that it, it contradicts other clear teaching of Scripture, like we saw in, in Ephesians uh, or I mean, in First Peter or Romans or, or First Corinthians. And, and even within this passage in verses seven through 10, we see that Christ gave gifts to, to the church. And, and while there is a priority, as I said earlier, uh, given to teaching, it's definitely not the only gift that matters in the church. Other gifts have a role to play as well. The second reason, and this is the more important, is it's a grammatical thing in the Greek. And I'm not going to go into great detail. I will tell you this. In the Greek, there are no commas. There's no punctuations. So you sort of have to look at the words that that are used. And uh, there's actually not one preposition that's used in this list to signify that this is a list, like that the pastor, shepherd, or the, or the shepherd teacher equips the saints, does the ministry, and builds up the church. In other words, there's actually the first preposition is uh, pros, which means he gave shepherds and teachers to equip the saints, which is just talking about a, a relationship between these two ideas. But then in the next two phrases, it's he Paul uses a different preposition, X, which indicates an ultimate purpose of which here he tells us that the saints are the ones prepared to do the work of ministry and the building up of the church. Brothers and sisters, this is beautiful. This is beautiful to see how Jesus Christ has put his church together. If the minister did everything, if the, if the shepherd teacher did everything, we would be insufferable to live with, would we not? Our egos would be so big and we would think, oh, you can't get along without me. But God in his grace humbled uh, these shepherd teachers by saying, you're just a part of it. You know, it's an important part to preach faithfully and to teach and to shepherd and to care for the flock. But the ministry is also with the people. And God takes people who are very different. You have Jew and Gentile and the Ephesian church and he brings them together and he uses those gifts with people being different and their gifts being different. And he uses that to cause the body to be unified and to be one in Jesus Christ. And so no one gets the glory except God, the Holy Spirit. Uh, As we think about this, do me a favor, turn to Romans chapter 12, and I just w- want you to, to see the beauty of what happens here. In Romans 12, you're, I'm sure you're very familiar with this. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. He has spent 11 chapters talking about God's mercies uh, to his people. He said, uh, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. In other words, as you see what God has done for you, do you not gladly say, Lord, I am yours Use my life however you so desire to do so. 
He said, uh, which is holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by the testing, by testing, you may discern what is the will of God and what is the good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you that you ought not to think of himself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. In other words, he gives the ministry of the word to renew our minds, to not only help us to know what is right to do, what's good and acceptable and perfect, uh, but also to humble us too as we hear the word of God preached. But then he goes on in verse 4. This is oftentimes not put together. And I want you to see uh, Paul's flow of thought. But then he says in verse 4, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ, uh, differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. And so he says, As the word of God is preached, as, you know, as we submit our lives to God, as we hear the word of God preached, as our minds are renewed and we think like Jesus Christ, there is a sense in which God uses that to help us to use our gifts for the strengthening and the building up of the church. Amen? Isn't that beautiful? And so as you think about the whole idea of the church gathering the saints and perfecting the saints, that the ministry that we have at Kirk of the Plains ought to always flow from the Word of God. And as the Word of God is taught and preached, then you use your gifts and the different capacities that God has equipped you to do so. Uh, and as we do that, we will see more saints, more people gathered into the church, but we will also see the church strengthened, not to the credit of any of us, but to the glory of our Savior. Amen? Amen. Let's uh, bow this morning and let's uh, meditate on the word that we heard preached this morning. Lord, we thank you so much uh, for your word that you have given to us. Um, it is so easy, our, our God, to, to fall into the mindset of, of the world around us and, and even the church world around us and the way the different churches and organizations do things and to think that's how we're supposed to do it. But we thank you that you have been very clear in your word to, to give us instructions as to exactly how we are to live our lives for not only faith in you, but also for, for godliness and how we are to live as well. And I pray that you would, uh, as the one who is the head over the church, would guard and protect us, even, even the shepherds, and teachers, and the evangelists, the Lord, that you would guard us to follow your ways and to do your will, not looking for the methodologies and the strategies of, of this world. Help us to be patient, God, to wait upon you as you do your work in our midst. And Lord, I pray that you would continue to cause our church to grow. I am so thankful for the work that you are already doing. Lord, I know that as a pastor, I have been so blessed and it's so good to know that not all the ministry comes to me. I know lots of times people come talk with me and ask me about this or that. But I thank you that the ministry is not does not fall upon my shoulders or that of the elders of this church only. But God, that you are doing the work through your people as well. But I do pray for those, Lord, that uh, may be here today that are not using their gifts 
And I just uh, pray for your blessing upon them, that you would help them, that they might enjoy uh, the reality of, of your work uh, through them uh, for the building up of your kingdom. Lord, we do pray for your rule, not only over our hearts, but also as we preach and share the gospel with those around us, uh, that we would see you working in the hearts of those unbelievers to come to faith in you and for you to rule over their hearts and to set them free from the bondage of their own desires and their selfish wills. Uh, We thank you, Lord, and pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.